Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, turn to Galatians chapter 3. I say it is good to be together with you today. It's been a long road for me and my family the last few weeks, but God has been very gracious, and uh, we are thankful for His grace, and, but glad to be back together uh, today. So Galatians chapter 3, we're continuing through our series in Galatians. <clears throat> Turn there. Uh, although Paul's letter has been forceful up till this point, I think of examples like his beginning where he says, I am astonished, he writes to the Galatians, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's the beginning of his letter. Like imagine sitting there and having someone read something from someone you were endeared to, and the letter began by saying, I'm astonished that you are walking away from the teaching that I have given you, that you are following a different gospel. Paul says, not that there is another gospel. That was in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. So from the get-go, this has been a, a book of hard things, a hard message that Paul has to give to the Galatians, but... In chapter 3, he turns up the intensity level just a little bit uh, here. And, and most scholars would agree that chapter 3 is really the crux of Paul's letter. He has been building up to this point, and he lays it out right here for the, for the Galatians, and he'll explain what he means right here in chapter 3 in the subsequent chapters in the rest of the letter. But Paul, the gloves come off. And he is, he is going directly for the problem here in chapter 3. Paul, having established his apostolic authority in the first two chapters, he's been building up to his main thesis, which is namely this. God's people become so by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is it. There is no other addition to that that needs to be done. And, 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 and this is Paul's argument. It is only because of Christ that you are counted as the people of God. Galatians, there is no other way, no other, nor is there any other gospel than the one Paul originally preached. So we have some large theological themes in our text, the first 14 verses of chapter 3. Three theological themes that we'll see Paul establish here and continue throughout the rest of the book are the themes of justification. This is being declared righteous before God, adoption into God's family, and sanctification. Sanctification is being made into the image of Jesus. And the big idea in our text today is that the true gospel proclaims justification, adoption into God's family, and sanctification are by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These are not things that we earn by our efforts. These are gifts given by God. And so we'll read through our text First 14 verses of chapter 3, and then uh, I will come back with some comments. So read with me, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. As I said, the gloves are off. Oh, foolish Galatians, exclamation mark, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse For us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of God, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Now, a little bit of the context, if you were here last week or listened online, uh, the end of, of chapter two leads right into Paul's main argument here, and Paul, where Paul reiterates a right relationship to the law in light of the gospel. And just as a, a means of refreshing, we'll read 19 through 21, where Paul wrote, for through the law, I died to the law. Paul is again explaining his response to the law because of the gospel at work in his life. He said, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose." Paul is laying it on really thick here. He wants his readers to understand that what they are hearing by these false teachers is damning to them. It will lead them away from life and into death, under the curse, he says here in this text. And he begins by a very sharp exclamation to get their attention. Now, remember, these letters were, were, Paul wrote these letters and sent them out to the churches and they were read publicly. And so imagine sitting there, listening to this letter from the apostle that came and first preached the gospel to you and to those around you. And you get to this point and he says, fools, you are acting like fools. Fools. I mean, really? (laughs) Imagine the weight of that. Paul is using language here to get their attention. Reports have reached Paul of the Galatians acting so foolishly that Paul speculates it must be the result of, of some mystical or spiritual delusion. 
as if someone has cast a spell over them or clouding their judgment or deceiving them with mystical enchantments. Right? That's what Paul says. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Like, you can't be acting this foolishly on your own. Someone has got to be misleading you, which is exactly what's happening, not necessarily a spell that's being laid on them, but false teachers that are coming in saying things that sound really good. And the Galatians are being led away by these words of these teachers that are contrary to the gospel. Whether or not Paul truly believed that they were spiritually deceived is not Paul's point. His point was this. They were not acting in their right minds by rejecting the cross of Christ and embracing this works-based false gospel. He wanted them to see and see clearly that they were acting in a a very foolish way, in a destructive way. As Tom Schreiner, theologian, whom I will uh, quote more than once this morning, uh, Tom Schreiner is a theologian, author, and seminary, uh, Southern Seminary professor. He states this, quote, The Christian life is a battle to rely on the gospel. And even as Christians, we are inclined to look to ourselves and trust in our own achievements rather than relying solely on the cross of Christ. The problems Paul addresses in Galatia remind us that the Christian life cannot be lived on autopilot, that there is a daily struggle to grasp the gospel. This is a good reminder that that our disposition to this text, when we read this, our disposition ought not be Oh, look at those foolish Galatians. Oh man, they were fools. They were, they were acting silly. Like, uh, this should not be our disposition. Rather, our disposition should be many times, this is describing us. I am so easily prone to wander, as the hymn says. I need to regularly remind myself of the goodness of the gospel, lest I start believing that I've contributed something worthwhile to this whole deal. Instead of judging the Galatians, we would do well to identify with them and say how easy it is to follow and to be caught up in false teaching because It didn't just only exist in the Galatian church. There's many false teachers in our day today that are saying things that sound great at face value, singing things that sound great at face value, but are just as destructive. You and I need this reminder, the reminder that number one, as was then, so now there are false gospels and false teachers actively attempting to deceive you and I. And two, you and I are easily deceived. We are easily led astray. And so we must regularly remind ourselves of the truths of the gospel. You and I need to regularly remind ourselves that that acceptance by God is because of Christ and Christ alone. Not by our works, not by your works. Likewise, your continued relationship with God Becoming more and more like him is because of Christ alone. Not due to your morality, which is a perceived ability to keep the law. Not due to your good behavior, works of the flesh. Paul charges the Galatians here to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ at the forefront 
of their minds and their lives. This gospel, which he reminds them that he publicly proclaimed and portrayed to them the, the, the perfect obedience of Christ, the sacrificial death of Christ and the victorious resurrection of Jesus was declared to them, Paul says. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. And so he, what he's saying here is it wasn't, it wasn't a half, halfway job of the gospel given to you. Like the gospel was proclaimed to you with such description and such clarity. It was as if you could see Christ being crucified in front of you. Paul says the gospel was proclaimed with power before you. And he also declares that, that power, the power of the gospel was at work in their lives. And so then after reminding them, after a shocking statement, Paul asks five rhetorical questions as he makes his way to the point. The first one, he says, did you, and I'm rephrasing these, these questions, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing, hearing with faith? He's reminding them of their initial response to the gospel. God's working in their life was not something they earned. It was something God did by his grace in which they responded to God's working with faith. At salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. This action is evidence of new life in Christ. It is an unmerited gift of God, not a reward for human effort. Paul reminds them of this and asks again, are you being so foolish? He reminds them of the wisdom of God at work in them through the Spirit. And he says, he says after being given the wisdom of God, after in the, the Spirit indwelling in you, after hearing the gospel proclaimed, why are you now returning to the foolishness of the flesh, the ways of your own thinking and understanding, your own efforts? Third question he asked them, are you now completing in the flesh what was begun in the spirit? Again, just reminding them that it was a spiritual act of God on their behalf that produced this new life, that produced the faith in them. It wasn't a result of their human works. So if it began as a work of faith, how could it then continue as a work of the flesh? Paul says this is foolishness. It doesn't make sense. What God began as a work in the spirit, he will continue as a work of his spirit. He continues. And he asked the, the Galatians, did you learn nothing from the suffering for Christ that they experienced? The suffering which is not given in detail here, but that Paul has heard, obviously heard about, that the Galatian believers endured, was intended to produce fruit. Now, if you think of suffering in our own lives, I can think of examples of fruit that's produced through suffering. Some examples, this is not an exhaustive list, this is, these aren't the only things that are produced, but these are some examples. Uh, suffering can produce a deeper trust in the sovereignty of God in our lives if we allow it to do its work. Suffering can produce the, the realization of the sustaining grace of Christ. As we walk through trials and hardships and we look back and go, in my own strength, there is no way I should have made it through this, but this is the sustaining grace of Christ that has kept me. 
Suffering, as Peter says, produces patience in us. I think suffering can also produce an eternal longing. Suffering in this life can help us remember it is not this life that we are living for, but that there is something better coming. We talked about this a lot in our Philippians sermon, our sermon series a few months ago. We talked about a better kingdom that is yet to come, that we are to set our eyes upon that coming kingdom. Suffering helps us focus our attention. And so Paul asked them, did you not learn anything from the suffering that the Lord brought to you to produce fruit in your life? Did you not learn anything from that suffering? Was it, was it in vain? Did it not produce its intended result in you? Because you are following something that is false. And the fifth question he asks is, having been given God's spirit and seeing evidence of God's spirit working among them, are, are, are they now turning to the law and rejecting Christ? In all of these five rhetorical questions, you hear the angst of Paul, like, what are you doing? Why are you turning to something that will bring you into bondage when you know the freedom of Christ? There is, a, there is a fatherly care and love from Paul for this church. And, and there's a little bit of fatherly voice. There's a boom in this voice too that comes that, that probably had the Galatians a little bit shaking, shaken, uh, especially with that introduction. Why would you be turning to the law at this point when it is Christ that has brought you freedom? Paul asks. Now, this last question, it's uncertain whether Paul is referencing the miracles done while he was with them. If you want to look at that, Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14 gives an account of Paul's missionary action, Paul and Barnabas in uh, the Galatian region. And God did some amazing things, healing people, uh, Paul being stoned and thought dead and gets up and continues preaching the gospel. Like God did some amazing things uh, in Acts 13 and 14 as Paul brought the gospel to the, the region of Galatia and, 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 and this, the neighboring regions. Uh, so it's uncertain whether Paul is referencing the miracles done while he was with them or if there was continued supernatural activity in the church. But that is beside the point. The point is that they have seen evidence of God's spirit at work among them. Paul, in asking this question, is drawing them to reflect upon how they've seen God at work in their lives and how, how as they've seen God's spirit at work in their lives, how could they turn to their own merit and the, the work of the flesh at this point? God's spirit at work among them was not a result of the law, but it was by God's grace, through faith in Christ, So we continue. After the five questions, verses seven through nine, uh, Paul begins to uh, talk about the, 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 the issue. He's leading up to the issue at hand. The, the false teachers, the Judaizers that have made their way into the church came and said, well, Galatians, uh, Gentile Christians, you are not truly part of the people of God unless you start acting and thinking like Jews. 
unless you adhere to the law. The issue, the sticking point was circumcision. Unless you go through this outward action that displays that you are part of God's kingdom that was, or God's people that was given back in the Old Testament. Paul says, this is rubbish. Like that was an old covenant. We are under the new covenant, which Christ has fulfilled those shadows. And so Paul begins to explain who are the people of God in this next, in these following verses. And Paul plainly states, just so there's no confusion, in verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. See, the Judaizers were coming and they were pointing to their bloodline. We are descendants of Abraham. They're pointing to their heritage as, as part of, of the Jewish, ethnic Jewish ethnic and geopolitical nation. And they were saying, you need to then become like us in order to receive the blessings of Abraham. And Paul says, that's foolishness. Because if you walk down that road, you nullify what Christ has done. So Paul plainly states, who are the people of God? Those of faith are the sons of of Abraham, and he continues in the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, and Gentiles are just basically anyone who is not Jewish. God would justify the Gentiles by faith and preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. And so, what Paul is doing here is also what the author of Hebrews does through his arguments, other New Testament writers, they're pointing back to this old system and saying it was just a shadow of what was to come. But what was to come is Christ Jesus, and he has come, and he has completed his work, and that work is done and finished. And we now are adopted into the family of God because of Christ, not because of our ability to keep the law. Adoption into the people of God is through faith, not by the law. Schreiner again says, faith is the pathway to blessing. But in these coming verses, verses 10 through 14, Paul reflects on the opposite state of affairs, on the curse that lies on those who rely on the law for justification, who rely on the law to be made right before God. And so these final verses, really scholars say this is the crux of Paul's letter here to the Galatians in 10 through 14. It's the hinge in Paul's letter, if you will, his main point writing to the church, and it is this, all who live by faith in Christ are the people of God because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And those who receive the righteousness of Christ, they're free from the curse. Adversely, all who rely on works of the law, they're unable, unable to meet the, the full demands of the law and they remain under the curse. And so Paul paints a sobering picture here for those who rely on works of the law, who live according to the law. And again, this is the false teaching that is infiltrated into the churches of Galatia. These young believers are believing this, as Paul would say, nonsense and starting to practice the law and, and living according to the law for their righteousness, looking to their works rather than looking to Christ. And so Paul makes it very clear 
If you live by the law, well, you must be perfect according to the law or you remain under the curse. The reality is this is an impossibility. And scripture paints this picture for us. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, that's why the, the, uh, the Lord made a, a provision in the law called the sacrifices. Because he knew, very clear in scripture, that everyone falls into the lawbreakers category since Genesis chapter 3. We are unable, incapable of keeping the law perfectly. And so under the Mosaic law, God made provision through animal sacrifice. And, and we see that the fulfillment of that provision, again, that sacrifice was just a shadow. It was a provision to show us that, that God had grace upon those that he knew could not keep the law, but that the law was just a shadow, something that was pointing forward to a greater work that God would do. Hebrews uh, chapters 9, uh, 9 and 10 deal with this extensively, the sacrificial system and the fulfillment of Christ. That that animal sacrifice was a temporary fix and it didn't really fix the problem. Only Christ is the remedy to the true problem of humanity. And Paul is beside himself saying, why would you go back to works of the flesh? Go back to the, the things that you can contribute when Christ has done all that needs to be done. Jesus has completed every action required. In fact, the ones that we couldn't do, that whole living perfect according to the law that not even the best of us can do, that's what the Old Testament is full of story after story. Solomon, the wisest of us, yeah, couldn't do it. David, the strong warrior, the man after God's own heart, guess what? Couldn't do it. Account after account, king, noble, prophet, it doesn't matter. Every person that came after Genesis chapter 3 could not fulfill the demands of the law. God knew this. God planned this because he had something better. Jesus is better. He's better than the law, better than the sacrifices, better than the old covenants. And Paul is beside himself. Why would you turn back to this old shadow when you have the real thing in Christ? The law, the sacrifices, the covenants were all insufficient systems made to point forward to the sufficient and complete work of Christ. So the question I have is, is, is then the law nullified? Should we just like skip over the Torah and the Old Testament, not really need to read the books of the law because it's no longer relevant to us? Well, I think Schreiner said it best when he said this, quote, when Paul says that the law is not of faith, it is a mistake to read this as a wholesale rejection of the law in the lives of Christians. Paul can speak positively about believers fulfilling the law by the power of the Spirit. We'll see that as Paul leads us out in Galatians. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Paul also addresses this in Romans 8, verse 4 and 13, 8 through 10. 
He maintains that Christians, through the work of the Spirit, are empowered to keep the law of Christ, which can be described as the law of love. See, Paul is not saying, forget those Old Testament books. They're no longer relevant. He's saying, you need to look at them rightly through the lens of the gospel. We need to look at these things as fruit being produced from a life changed by the work and person of Christ, not as actions we must do to be in right standing before God or to be part of the community of God. Both justification and sanctification are works of the Spirit to be received by faith. They are not merits to be earned by works of the flesh. And so we look at this fruit and, and, and Paul does not just throw this out there and leave it. As we continue through the book of Galatians, Paul will detail this out for, for the Galatian church and for us as well. What does this fruit look like? When, when we understand the gospel rightly, what then is our relationship to the rest of scripture? What then should be produced in our lives? And we'll spend some uh, extensive time looking at, at, at this fruit that Paul lays out, some examples that Paul gives, um, and specifically in chapter 5. But Paul desires here for his readers to understand that our being made righteous before God is not earned by works of the flesh, by our obedience to the law. It is a gift of God by grace through faith in Christ. And so the question I have this morning for us, as we look at this and we say, well, circumcision is not really an issue now, like we're not looking... To, to these Old Testament regulations. But we're really good at creating ways for us to merit, do, actions. Dare I say it's easier for us to create a checklist of things we must do to be a good Christian than it is to look to Christ and Christ alone. You see, what Paul is getting at here is not so much behavior or action. He's getting at affection and attention. Who holds your affections? Is it Christ? Do you see him as beautiful? Do you see him as the gift that he is? Or are you trying to earn something from God? Feeling unworthy. And by the way, we are unworthy in our own selves, by our own actions. But Christ has made us worthy by his actions, by his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection. And by responding to the gospel with faith in Christ, we have this gift that's given to us called Christ's imputed righteousness. And what that means is the righteousness that he holds, he gives to us. Not because we deserve it. Not because we are worthy of it. Because he is good and generous and kind. Paul is getting at here with the Galatians is who holds your affections? 
Are you so in love with this life that you are only focused on the here and now? Boy, is that relevant for us today. Or does Christ hold your heart? Do you live your life to make much of Jesus? Or do you live your life to make much of comfort or success? The struggles of the Galatians is not just limited to that time and those people. The struggle to put our own efforts above the beauty of Christ is real for us every single day, which is why Schreiner says we must daily remind ourselves of our need for the gospel. We must look and and examine our lives. Am I living in light of the gospel? Do I view scripture in light of God's work in my life? Is my life producing fruit because of the gospel? Paul's argument here in Galatians 3 is that faith in Christ produces Christ-like actions. And he'll explain that further in chapter 5. He'll say some examples of that are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These consistent changes reflect a new creation. They reflect the gospel at work in us. These are unnatural to the unregenerate man. In other words, in our natural fallen state, we will not produce this fruit consistently. This does not mean, however, that humans are incapable to produce such fruit apart from the Holy Spirit. For example, certain personalities may be more prone to to being generous in certain circumstances. What this means is that a pattern of this fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, particularly in the face of trials, suffering, persecution, this is when the fruit of the Spirit is on display. This is when the world looks and says they shouldn't be acting like they are, but they are. Why? When it isn't natural for you to respond In such a way, this is the gospel at work in us and the fruit is on display. Because the reality is, it is much more difficult to act like Christ when we are treated like Christ by the world. It's easier to act like Christ in comfortable America. In our homes, where we have comforts. It is easy to be generous in our abundance. It becomes more difficult to act like Christ when we are treated like Christ by the world. Many of our brothers and sisters, and that's why we often pray for the persecuted church around the world, so that we would identify with those who are acting like Christ when the world is treating them like Christ. And they are being persecuted and killed. Their property confiscated. And they are responding with love, joy. Joy, (laughs) peace, Patience. See, Paul's not saying that that our life should not produce fruit. He's saying we need to understand that that fruit is a result of God's work in our lives, not a means to earn favor. It is a perspective difference. It is important to keep in mind And we must remind ourselves of the significance of the gospel daily. 
We may be tempted to think that we understand the gospel and then focus, focus our attention elsewhere, but it is a trap. We need to recognize our need daily for the gospel. And we need to look to our lives. Are our lives producing fruit of the gospel at work in us? Do others see the gospel on display? This is James' argument. And sometimes people will say James and Paul are at odds with one another. Not at all. They are complementing one another. Paul is establishing that we are justified. We are made right before God because of the work of Christ. And James is saying because of the work of Christ, we put Jesus on display through our lives, actions, words. In fact, James would go so far as to say that faith without these actions is dead. It's not true faith. It's not the gospel at work if, it's not ma- if it has not made any impact on our lives. Puritan pastor Jonathan Edwards would say it this way, quote, a true and faithful Christian does not make holy living living an accidental thing. It is his great concern as the business of the soldier is to fight, so the business of the Christian is to be like Christ. Paul's argument here is Christ has done all that needed to be done. We need not add any of our own work to what Christ has done. When he said it is finished on the cross, guess what, my friends, it was finished. And for those who profess faith and trust in Christ, we need to live accordingly. We need to walk in the freedom of the gospel and our lives need to put on the gospel on display through our words, through our actions, not for us to earn anything, for us to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, this morning, one, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this argument that Paul brings for this challenge that he brings to the Galatian churches to set our, their affection and attention on Christ and Christ alone. To not be led astray, to, to look to their own works to earn favor with God, but instead to look to Jesus for favor with God, for righteousness, for life. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today God, I pray that we would too, we would also look to Christ for our righteousness. We would look to what Christ has done. We would remind ourselves of the beauty of the gospel and that that would have a, a significant impact on our lives and that we would, would speak and act as those redeemed from under the curse those free in Christ to live like Christ. God, I pray that you would give us strength, that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us to be more like you. 
that our words and our actions would reflect the beauty of the gospel to the glory of your name. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.